0: Welcome to Executive Tools, The Executive's Open Door, Part 2. This cast answers these questions. Do executives have to have open doors? What does an open door policy mean? What are the special obligations for executive open door policies? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Well, welcome back, Mark. It's uh, good to get back on this topic of executive uh, open door policies, and our last one, who knows? I, I'm done. I've been after almost 20 years, I'm done predicting how long, pre- predicting how long a podcast. Well, will yeah,
1: have. of course, we're, we're in the middle of transitioning everything to Kate and Sarah for manager tools and at some point executive tools. And we have this discussion all the time. Uh, I ask them after they record, how long was it? And they say, oh, it's a one-parter, it's a two-parter. I'm like, huh, I thought it would be different somehow, which to me is actually a good thing that the voice People in this case, Kate and Sarah, they are. We're not just reading these right show exactly. Notes. And there are there are stories, there are sides, there are anecdotes, and so on. Every once in a while, I get sent an audio file from some other podcaster and says, "Hey, Mark, big fan of your shows. You know, would love for you to take a listen to to a podcast." And I, I hate to say it, but people are clearly writing scripts and reading the scripts, right? right? And to me, knowing that you and I, as the voice artists, that sounds really bad, voice artist, artists, uh, won't, won't be doing this too much longer, I think we ended up, without seriously planning it in a 55-step process, in a pretty good place where it sounds like two guys talking about management, and we have the show notes for those people who don't want to listen to two guys talking about management and just want to read a white paper. Exactly. Well… It's not a whole lot of fun just to sit there and read something off the, the paper. Oh. And, and it's apparent to the audience no, 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 not no. a fun, I, I, No, right? you, you speak without experience. I speak from experience. Our third book is coming out, which is the Effective Manager book, second edition. I think the deadline, didn't we, it's December 9th or something like that. We're recording this in September. So I have to rewrite the Effective Manager, including hybrid and remote, which I think is a great thing. Uh, we've been in contract negotiations with Wiley for what a year now. It's been a while. And if some people in our community remember my first book, I decided that I would not do the recording of the book, the audio book. And the reason why is because I said, and, and maybe it was a little too flippant to say it. I said, dudes, you don't need me to read this book. You already have me reading this book in our podcast. Go listen to the podcast. Right. But of course, podcasts are a different operational thing than an uh, audiobook. Anyway, I got pilloried for that. I mean, there were probably a couple hundred people in the few years after the book came out. I think the book came out six years ago. And there are a number of people who have said, I can't believe you didn't read your own book. And the guy they got to read the book was terrible. So my point is, for a second book, Effective Hiring Manager, I knew I had to read the book. Well, let me tell you something. They put you in a dark, airless closet with curtains and blankets all over the place, and you have to read it. And you are not allowed even one comma of pausing that would suggest any lifeless life uh, force in you as you're reading. <laughs> and the original plan was I had to go up to Berkeley, uh, a couple hour drive north, and the original plan was they needed three days, which is one of the reasons why I said no to the first recording. I'm like, I don't, I don't have three days. We're, we're running a business over here, and so I said to the recording guy the first day, I said, "Can I come in a little early? Because if I get there at eight with traffic, Silicon Valley traffic, would be a problem." He said, "Fine." So I got there at like seven, and I finished recording the whole book by I think six p.m. And I started recording, and he said, and he, would, he would interrupt and said, You have to do that sentence again. You said conception instead of the conception, or something like that. And it was absolutely mind numbing. And in all my years of going back and forth to Silicon Valley for flights out of San Jose, for clients, for flights out of FSO, clients for lunches, for dinners, all kinds of things being driven, it is the only time in 15 years that I fell asleep in the back of the car driving me home.
0: Well, oh, wow. The only
1: time I was just, and and it was horrible. I, as I was sleeping in the back of the car, I was, Dwight, my driver, friend of mine meets, I mean, he was, you were mumbling, because it was just saying the words, you know, sentence after sentence after sentence. Yeah, I can. And the guy would correct me and say, "No, you gotta do that again, you gotta do that again, you gotta do that again. Like, just shoot me now. And I'm sure that I'm gonna have to do it again that's a great thing about this podcast. We don't,
0: we don't, we don't re-record It's kind of what we, yes. what we say, whether I like it or not,
1: it actually goes out in the podcast. Rest assured folks, I know this intro is going on too long, but rest assured, uh, we now use Zoom to do this so Mike and I can see each other because we've known each other for 40 years and we're good friends. And, and uh, every once in a while I see a look on Mike's face, like, mm, I'm not so sure you should have said that. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I've said it before to people. How many hours out of all of the hours we've recorded, manager tools, career tools, and now executive tools, I actually think we can count in the number of minutes that have been edited out of our podcasts.
0: Uh, by, yeah, by our it, it would engineer. not amount to an hour. No way. Yeah,
1: and and some people right now are saying you could have cut out these six. Minutes. You get what you get.
0: So and. <laughs> Sometimes you get a long intro that you may not want. Yeah, have exactly.
1: So there you go. Exactly. There you
0: Sorry, go. guys. We we probably we probably should cut it out, and we probably won't. Probably so, won't. There you go. Okay, so we talked a lot about the whys and executive one-on-ones and why they're important, and the fact that executives, believe it or not, are are still managers. They you mean executive open door? Yeah. So our next part of this series is uh, getting into the the how.
1: Yeah, and. You know, I I think we made the point in in the last recording that executives have that additional responsibility, not just as managers, but to set an example to create a culture in an organization. And of course, culture is just behavior. And the fact is, this is one of the many systems that executives are responsible for. It's not hard. It's not complex. It's not systemically difficult. It takes some basic behaviors, which are very straightforward. And then what it takes is discipline, which is why when people ask me about executives, I say what what makes you know executives really, really good? Is it this? Is it that? And God, it's amazing the stuff you hear about. Is it creativity? Is it innovation? Is it foresight? It's like, no, dude, it takes decisiveness and discipline. If you're gonna be great, you can only do the things that you must do. And you have to be able to make decisions with a thimble full of information right. and not, you don't, you don't ever get to boil the ocean. Um, so what do we do? All right. First, go back to first principles, manager tools, first principles. The first thing you do when it comes to an open door, when you ascend to an executive position, sometime in that first week, you send out an email to all of your directs and the email says, I'm going to be starting an open door policy. Obviously, if your predecessor had one, you continue it, although you should check what their policy was, and 99.99% of them don't have one, or if they did, it's not written down, it wasn't clearly explained, and nobody's doing anything about it. If you do take over a culture, an organization whose culture includes a robust and professional open-door policy, ODP, Oscar Delta Papa, as they say, um, lucky, lucky, lucky you. If you're a licensee, send your direct, uh, all your directs, these show notes to help them understand what you mean. I love the idea. I, I, I think too many of us in leadership positions think that we get a little teeny charge out of the idea that we know something our people don't, and we don't intend to share with them how we know it. And I think you, I I would immediately tell all my people, hey, this is where I'm learning all this stuff. I don't know this stuff. Sure. I don't know this stuff. But man, this, this podcast or this book or this whatever is really good. And if I'm learning from it, why wouldn't I want you to learn from it? I want you to be as good as me. Okay. So, you're going to send out the mail. You're going to expect responses to your mail. They're going to be questions. Don't respond to the questions individually respond by saying, you'll brief everyone at your next staff meeting because of course you have a staff meeting, right? If you don't have a weekly staff meeting with your directs, please start. You know, it's like, there's memes on the internet called adulting where young, young adults, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 year olds say, this is adulting, right? I have to do this. I actually have to clean up after myself, whatever. Well, this is adulting when it comes to managerial life. You have a staff meeting. If you think an email alone puts the policy in place, it's not enough, folks. Partially because you're an executive and you're not just doing the thing, you're setting an example of the thing. Then in your staff meeting, walk everybody through the open door policy. It doesn't need to be any more complex than what we have outlined here. In fact, you could absolutely file the show notes of this show as your policy. I don't understand why people think, oh, I have to go talk to HR or legal about what form the corporate policy document is. Oh, geez, don't get those people involved. Just put something in writing. And share it with everybody. Say, hey, there's a policy drawer over there. Go look for it, okay? Or put it up on your intranet, right? Uh, Put it up on the interwebs uh, in your company. Don't worry that you'll get crossways with HR if they have a policy already. That'll just delay your rollout. Too often, we've seen managers like, yeah, okay, I got to talk to HR. I got to roll out this ODP. And then HR says, well, we we need to be involved with that. You know, uh, we, we don't know. We can't have your policy conflicting with ours. And basically, there's a long delay. And then HR doesn't have one. Or, oops, we thought we did, but it's six years old, so we'll need a, a formalized process in which this thing gets staffed across 19 divisions Just shoot me in the face. Look, let's be clear. We're not going to throw HR completely under the bus. We would soften this if you have a great relationship with your HR, quote, business partner, unquote. And if you do, well done. You should. And if you do, tell him. Use this guidance. Share the show notes, again, if you're a licensee. And say to the HR person, great. Why don't you write it up? Make it all formal. Use this as a guideline and write up something that I can attach and you can excerpt out in the body of the mail and that we can attach the mail. And then don't be afraid to have your HR business partner come to your meeting to brief it. If she's sharp and she's respected by your team, and if you have a good relationship with him or her, you should be helping them build a good relationship with your team and telling your team. Dudes, you need a good relationship with her. She's good. And that'll send a message that your ODP has the imprimatur of the org, not just you. Now, look, that's not really necessary because now that you're an executive, everything you do has the imprimatur of the organization. But maybe you think it'll benefit from perceived to have been blessed by HR. However, whatever you do, don't water down your policy to match whatever HR says is the official system. And this, this general rule uh, surfaces another one of those hidden organizational systems or practices or principles that is really necessary. Sub-organizations can implement more restrictive systems, but they cannot implement less restrictive systems than their parent organization now you can choose not to enforce a parent organization principle that happens all the time actually people don't choose to not enforce them they just don't they just don't don't know exist yeah but if you want to be focused on a particular area you could say i know what the company says we're going an extra level now some of us not me But there are people who are like, yeah, I need to look at all the corporate systems and I need to drill down two more levels and get even more specific with all my people. If you do that, you might as well sign up for a bunch of pine boxes for your people because you'll start getting the kind of micromanagement and bureaucracy that kills people, the stultifying effect of bureaucracy. But the fact is too many organizational systems are incomplete and if you tell people just refer to HR's policy, and then every time one of your people reaches out to HR, HR's like, yeah, we need to find it and we'll get back to you. You might as well just tell your people, yeah, I don't really have a policy. I don't really care about this stuff. Okay. Now, some of you are going, the high D's in the audience right now, Mike, you know, they're going, God, this seems like administratively burdensome. Yeah, it is. And that's part of being an executive. And that's, often why executives have an admin and yeah your admin can do a lot of this stuff for you so you go get hr system if in fact they think they have one and compare their system to what we've outlined here and if your hr business partner is involved in the drafting and It probably does really need to be in writing, but you don't have to have it finally in writing before the staff meeting. Otherwise, you'll go through eight drafts and it'll delay everything. And delay is death. Make sure they understand that HR is involved in helping. And we do really love good HR, but there's far too much bad HR in the world. And bad HR wants to be involved in open-door activities And there are some times when an open door situation will require uh, HR to be involved. But folks, too many HR professionals think wrongly of themselves as proto-union reps for individual contributors, which is patently false, misleading, and dangerous, okay? HR loves that role. We're going to protect you. But that is not HR's role. HR doesn't ever get to say that. HR serves the organization, not the employees. Now, are employees part of the organization? Yes, but too many union, too many HR people think that their job is to be a, a soft union, and it's just not so. Managers and executives, not HR, own and run the open-door policy of the organization, even if the policy at corporate or whatever resides in HR's filing cabinets. Okay, so now we're in the staff meeting, we brief our team, we provide them a written version. You can send out an explanatory email afterwards if you want, that's totally fine. Expect some questions. Folks, we want questions in group settings. The absence of questions here basically says there are people in the room who are trying to figure out how not to do this, but not arouse your attention in their direction, okay? And the other reason we want questions and group questions is so the or group sessions is so we only have to answer them once and everyone hears the same answer. If you use the information theory of exchange as opposed to the monetary theory of exchange, when one person hears an answer to their question and they know that everybody else heard the answer, that answer has more value to them and to everybody else on the team. And look, they're going to be naysayers and they will ask what they say are legitimate questions that are clearly just designed Mm -hmm. to show that they're superior and they don't really think they need to do it. And by the way, I've been here longer than you and they've got a negative attitude. Look, if you expect that, if you've got a couple of people that just aren't on board with stuff like this, okay, fine. Why doesn't anyone ever do what I saw my old boss do years ago, when you got a couple of naysayers, go to a couple of your top people and say, hey, look, Joe and Bob over here, they're always raining on everybody's parade. So talk to Sarah and to Tom and say, hey, you know what? These guys are gonna be a problem. So I want you guys to support it. I want you to verbally support it. Can you do that for me? Yes. Okay, here are the kind of things I wanna say. Ask questions about this and this and this. And if if Bob and Joe over here bring up two negatives, You bring up five positives, okay? Of what you really like or how this will help or other people you know that are doing it, okay? And let's not make the meeting about you defending yourself against two crotchety old naysayers. To heck with that. Say, no, we're a team. And I I tell you, if Mike were my boss and he said to me, hey, by the way, you know, these two people over here, they're always, yeah, I know, boss. And he says, would you speak up? Heck yeah. And by the way, At this point, I'm a manager, I'm a senior manager, I report to a VP or something. I know how to do it without being a toady. In fact, if it were me, a lot of you who are listening have met me and know me a little bit, if it were me, rather than just being supportive of Mike's open door policy, I'd turn to Joe and I go, Joe, seriously, do you really think that anyone here thinks that you're actually asking a question? No. What you're doing is just saying with a question, which… Mike just asked for what you're saying is you don't like this. And seriously, if you got that kind of stuff, I mean, doesn't help the team spirit around here. If you got that kind of stuff, ask Mike privately. Yeah. We don't need that. This whole strategy of, of having your directs, your best directs,
0: frankly, yeah. Help you champion some program is probably the hidden gem in this podcast. If you learn that, man, that's gold right there. You can
1: use that anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, full disclosure, you're you are one step ahead of me. Again, there is an executive tools podcast to be delivered probably in 2023 called Kitchen Cabinet. And that's what it's about. Okay. Okay. Back to our regular scheduled recording. So you might assume that there won't be a whole lot of grumbling, but remember something, you're not the only one that's going to have to do an ODP. Everybody Downstream from you in your org is going to have to do it. It applies to all managers in your orgs, and it's managers that have to go through the same steps you're going through now. It's not just you, right? Your subordinate managers are by definition bound by your open door policy, not just in terms of forwarding things up, but having their own. Plenty of subordinate managers obviously don't want another policy with which they have to comply. That's the nature of hidden organizational systems. They apply to all managers and executives. Now, look, remember now, all we've done so far in this policy rollout, and I hope people are hearing, we're spending a lot of time on this because we are providing in this cast the template for all future policy rollouts in your org. We happen to be talking about open door policy, but this is how you do it. Okay? If you're an executive and you have four layers of managers beneath you, you not only have to do the behavior, you have to teach the behavior, you have to encourage the behavior, you have to, in some cases, measure, not in this one, measure uh, the behavior, and you also have to potentially enforce the behavior. And so, you not only have to just tell your directs, you got to notify your entire organization. And a little tricky here the challenge is when do you notify the org do you do it before every manager in your organization has had the policy rolled down to them in other words if mike is four levels above me and he's talking to his people his directs but his policy is in effect for everybody does he notify everybody or does he just notify his directs they notify theirs they notify theirs and finally it gets down to me and if you're above director level your directs not only have to implement an ODP of their own and notify their directs, but those directs have managers and they're going to have to have a policy too. So we can either formally notify our entire organization as we're delivering this to our directs, or again, we can wait until all the managers in our org have finished notifying their directs. The most common mistake that we've seen in Open Door Policy Implementation is announcing an ODP and then not following up to ensure that all the managers in his or her organization are implementing and communicating their own. Executives make the mistake of saying, okay, we're an ODP org now, and so done. Me and my people, well, I'm doing it, and maybe my people are. But let me tell you, if you're four levels up, Ms. VP, and your whole organization doesn't know about an ODP. You don't have one because yeah. horsemen down there in the trenches doesn't know that the way an ODP works is I'm supposed to go to my boss. And then if I don't get satisfaction from her, I go to her boss. And if I don't get satisfaction, finally, I get to you. It has to happen at all levels.
0: This is just an extension of the, you know, managers are not communicated to, but communicated through, right? That, this is just another totally. another example of that.
1: Yeah, and every time we talk about that cast, which is one of my favorites, I'm reminded of how many emails I get where people say, "Hey, I want to brief you on this scenario that happened in my company, and I want to get your take on it." And I get these long strings of emails, been back and forth, and you know, arguing and sniping and pettiness and so on. And there are always in there at least one email from some VP or whatever that is just naked forward. Right, to some manager's directs. Like, dude, you don't do that. You don't just tell your people, here's what my boss said. You interpret it. You always have to interpret it. Anyway, okay. So, look, it's okay to announce when you're talking to your directs. That's fine. Okay. Yes. Technically, we're all we all have an open door policy and in the process of rolling down the open door policy, we want Horseman, the individual contributor to know he can go to Ozan four levels up and and even though that's sort of an abomination, it's a legit use of the spirit of ODP in this case because the ODP hasn't gotten through all the managers. But the problem with that is you have to ensure that all of your subordinate managers push this stuff through and put in place an ODP and communicate it to everybody and so on. And there's going to be holes. There are going to be somebody two or three levels down with no open door policy and no interest in it. And that will mean that the people who the open door policy was created for the people at the lowest level, the people who need a voice, and it is management who is their voice, not HR, those people won't be served and they are part of your organization and they will not have any belief that they have recourse through an open door policy and who are the managers most likely to create a situation that requires open door <laughs> policy of course right the people who don't want to have an open door policy right of exactly course. <laughs> come on yeah so okay now That's just, we're just talking education now. Now we got a model, our ODP. When an open door request or an event comes to us, we'd be smart in that situation to brief our directs and maybe they would potentially brief their directs, depending upon the topic and people, it could be something sensitive. We would brief on what we did and why we did it that way. Too many people think, oh, it's a personnel thing. It's got to be confidential. No, it doesn't have to be confidential. Washington has this problem too. Everything is top secret. It's silly. Rosters for meetings are top secret. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Oh, that's confidential or that's uh, that's uh, we can't tell anybody that. Or it's like this comment I heard from somebody like, I asked HR for an org chart for a for a sister organization of ours so I could start building a relationship. And HR said, no, I can't do that for you. The HR person then said, I can read it to you. And the guy's like, what do you mean? (laughs) Read it to me. Like, uh, if you want to get on the phone and zoom, I can read it to you and you can write it down, but I can't communicate that. I can't electronically. Seriously. I'm trying to build a relationship with these people who are involved in this thing that we're doing. That's really important. Yeah, no, sorry. I can't do that. So there's way too much. That's confidential. And, Certainly, there are sensitivities, but sensitivities are not confidentialities. What what I mean by that is we need to be sensitive to people and respect certain areas of people's lives, but that doesn't mean we draw a line and say everything's flipping confidential. So, we, we want to train and educate people, and at the same time, we don't like the idea of embracing anonymity where, okay, every single upward communication in this organization is an ODP that requires some sort of anonymity. (laughs) And sometimes we have to encourage it, right? Like, hey, have you had any open door policies? Because I've had six from the rest of the organization in last year. You've had none. Anybody coming to you? And then you start thinking, okay, I'm going to have a town hall right? We have a series of meetings that managers and executives do. One is weekly one-on-ones, one is weekly staff meetings. Then we have periodic uh, skip level meetings. And if you have more than two layers beneath you, then you're going to have town halls. And at a town hall, you're going to say, hey, just in the last year, managers, show of hands of those of you who have had open door conversations. And we'll we'll see a show of hands. Okay. Those of you who report to managers, anybody here gone to their manager with Open Door? You can very quickly see whether or not there are blockages in the system. So, if you learn of a situation where a manager doesn't honor a request, and by honoring, meaning let's say Horseman reports to Ozan, Ozan reports to Eldon Schaefer. Horseman goes to Ozan and says, you know, I got an open door thing. And Ozan says, yeah, thanks. He handles it very well, but he says, I'm sorry, I can't agree. And I say to Ozan, this is how open door works. I say, yeah, I feel like this is important enough though that I wanna go talk to Eldon. Mike, Ozan, is obligated to allow me to do so and to notify Eldon that I'm coming to see him on open door. And he's also, if he's smart, the policy says, and he can talk to Eldon. It's not some confidential an- anonymity kind of thing. He'll tell Eldon, Horseman came to me with this. He's going to come to you. That's how the system works.
0: Yeah, so it's perfectly reasonable for me to to brief Eldon. Brief about my position detail. and my thoughts about the issue and why I may or may not agree with, with you,
1: right? Just, that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And it goes further, of course, as we'll learn. And if Eldon's halfway intelligent, and (laughs) Eldon Schaefer's pretty darn intelligent, he's going to be like, yeah, my bias is towards supporting you. Because otherwise, if every single time Horseman goes to Ozan, and Ozan doesn't give me satisfaction, and I go to Schaefer, Schaefer overturns Ozan, pretty soon, Horseman's like, the guy I need to be working for is Schaefer, and not Ozan. So, you've got to look for situations where maybe those ODP requests are happening, but they're dying and there's no forwarding going on. It's a different story. If Horseman goes to Ozan and say, I want another bite at this apple, Mike, and he says, okay, let's talk about it. And I say, this is kind of an open door thing. And then he talks to me and I say, oh, you're right, boss. I didn't see that. And I go away. Maybe I don't go away happy, but I don't go away disgruntled. If that's the case, if I don't ask to see Eldon, then Mike might mention to Eldon if they're really good friends, but God, if every single time every subordinate manager had a question or a pushback or an issue from a direct, had to tell their boss, the organization might as well be closed for any other type of business.
0: Right. I just want to make sure that what I said didn't get misconstrued. It's not just that it's okay to go brief, in my case, in this case, to go brief Eldon on the situation and give him context. From my perspective, you must. You must. It's it's not fair to your boss for somebody to come in and open door. By the way,
1: open door incoming.
0: Yeah. And and (laughs) not have any context whatsoever to the situation, right? I shouldn't make Eldon have to come to me and say, Hey, what's I don't understand the situation.
1: I don't understand this issue completely. Right. That's that's and here's the thing. When I came to you, you know, and unless it's something really anonymous, we're gonna talk about this more in a minute. A private or i don't know in some way sensitive i don't get to make blind requests by the same token after i've talked to you i can't say to you i want to talk to eldon but i'd rather you didn't say anything to him no i'm sorry i yeah, know no. no i the f- next thing i'm going to do is pick up the phone and say you're not going to believe the horseman wants to come talk to you about x and eldon's going to go what now here's why that's important and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but but the reason that's important is because Eldon has different priorities than Mike does, okay? I have to tell Mike what I'm talking to him about, again, unless it's sensitive, so that Mike can make a judgment call about the relative urgency and priority he's going to put to my request, Okay. Eldon gets that same respect from the open door policy request that I, when I'm going past Mike to him. And so Mike wants to tell Eldon, here's what Horstman wants to talk about. Eldon might say, I got to tell you, that's going to be a firm, solid no. And that allows me to say, when Horseman asks me, and by the way, Ozan doesn't ask Eldon, Horstman asks, and and I clearly say to Eldon, hey, listen, I've talked to my boss. I'd like to have an open door session with you. Totally fine. And when I do that, Eldon now knows what's about. And he can say, look, I can see you a week from next Thursday. That's totally fine because Horseman's request is not urgent at all to Eldon. Now that's probably a stretch. Eldon will try to find time, but maybe he'll also say, I'm not going to schedule a half an hour for Horseman. I'll give him 10 minutes because I know it's going to be a no. Because again, Ozan briefed him. Okay. So, we got a little ahead of ourselves there. Sorry. Um, and finally, we're going to have to periodically refresh, debrief, re-communicate our open-door policy because, folks, new people join your organization, individual contributors get promoted, and they become managers and become the recipient of an ODP, and suddenly, they've never actually had to do manager-level ODP responsibilities, Okay. And so, well, you've been part of an organization that has an open-door policy, so therefore, you should be able to be one of the managers. That's like saying that being interviewed as a candidate makes one capable of being a good interviewer, which, by the way, most people behave as if that's true, and we all might as well just kill ourselves as think about that. Policies like open-door policy don't just stay alive because we announce them or put them on paper. They exist because we work at them, because we behave in ways commensurate with them, because we communicate about them, and it's our behavior that matters. Always. Yeah. Behavior, behavior, behavior.
0: Now, there are some common misconceptions among managers and executives about how to respond to open-door policy requests, right? So, and it leads them <laughs> to do some things they shouldn't do. So, uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole category of things that executives must not do, so let's talk about some of those.
1: Yeah. Every once in a while, you know, we make recommendations. We have, I mean, think about the pile of recommendations we put out there for managers. I'm waiting for an email from somebody saying, you've asked me to do too much, I'm, you know. But there's another side of that, which is what not to do. Now, part of the reason we make recommendations about what to do is because if all you get is a steady diet of what not to do, pretty yeah, soon you help. get pretty cynical pretty fast. But in this particular case, the power and reach and authority of an executive is such that you need to have clear understanding of guardrails. The guardrails for a manager tend to be pretty clear. The reach and power of a manager is, fairly, is pretty clearly circumscribed in a way that's it's obvious to everybody. Executives start getting a little bit of, it's almost like they have strategic air cover and they can get away with a little bit more. There's There's enough, maybe we could say it as, it's an order of magnitude more freedom. It's probably not that much. Maybe it's two or three X, but it's, it's more. That, it's more. Yeah, it's it's more. And it's not 10% more. And it's not linear 5%, 5%, 5% every time. You get to be an executive, it's 50% or 75%, whatever. So there are some misconceptions. You're right. And we need to be clear about some of those things. The most common mistake that executives make is thinking, when it comes to open door policies, is that an open door policy request, by definition, obligates the manager to take some specific action.
0: Nope.
1: Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so an open door policy session does not necessarily require any action on any manager's part, full stop. A policy request, an open door policy request is not an automatic call to action. In fact, as a general rule, ODPs generally don't require action and it's best if managers understand that doing nothing or very little is usually the best solution. When somebody brings you an open door request, assume that simply listening is sufficient. Now, we're not, we're not saying that's true 90% of the time, or even 50% of the time, there may be some small action taken based on the discussion. But assuming no or very little action is the likely course is a much more effective approach when you're listening to an open door request than thinking that every exchange requires notable action, okay? Look, assuming that action and even worse more you know significant action is required leads to another classic open door mistake believing that our job is to investigate quote unquote investigate odp events in fact that is so much of a kind of a rookie mistake that there's a there's a name for it it's called who shot john In other words, you're the police detective and you're going to go find out who shot John. Folks, our job as executives is not to play detective. That is not what an open-door policy request means. I'm requesting that you investigate, okay? Your job is not to figure out what happened. There's nothing you can do about what happened. This is classic feedback 101 stuff. Your job is not to right a wrong, though it, possibly that could occur do not assume as far too many managers and even executives do that their s- standard response is to say i'll look into it don't do it don't you do don't it you do okay yeah i gotta tell you because i've seen it happen everybody you know in in, in certain organizations this has happened two or three times. I can't remember whether it's two or three where HR crafted a policy and it was very clear the policy was trying to get managers to become HR's fingers into the organization. And every single time those open door request, there had to be a formal filing with HR and HR wanted to be involved and, oh, my. and, 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 oh, oh, it was like, oh yeah, we need to investigate that. It's crazy on so many
0: levels, but it's, it's it actually works against which, against which HR wants because Employees know that's going to happen. And so guess what? There are going to be less people requesting open door policy requests, right? I mean, there's just going to be less of them,
1: which is really not what you're trying to do, I don't think. Yeah, here's the story. It's classic. So in a situation, HR has a policy. They really want to be very involved. And HR, every single time, their playbook, it wasn't officially in the playbook, but it was the way HR responded was they would say to the manager who notified them of an open-door policy, by the way, as an aside, I said to the HR person once, the deputy HR, deputy VP or assistant VP, who was in charge of it. She says, all HR, all open-door policy situations come through us. I say, you really don't think that, do you? And she says, what do you mean? I said, well, the policy says it has to be do you really think that every manager who has an open-door policy request wants you to know about them? Well, whether they want to or not, this person said, they have to. I said, yeah. Is that what you did when you were three levels down? You notified everybody above any time they ever wanted to know anything? Is that? No. Well, okay, so it's not all. And the next thing I said was, "What well, their policy was to say to the manager, do you want to investigate or do you want me to do it? And I was talking to a manager one day. He says, oh, God, I got an ODP. I'm like, oh, sorry, dude. I said, but it's not as bad. It's going to be fine. It's, you, all you need to do is listen. It's fine. He says, yeah, but I got to talk to HR about who's going to investigate. I said, oh, God, that's right. Because I just couldn't imagine that HR had actually codified and formalized this, this investigation thing, the Who Shot John thing. And in fact, that was when I told a bunch of managers in a meeting, you guys have a who shot John culture. And the, I got in trouble with John for <laughs> saying that a bunch of somebody raised their hand and says, what's a who shot John culture? And I had to tell him. And the manager says, yeah, I got to investigate. And I said, he says, I'm just going to have HR do it. I said, no, you're not. And he says, why not? I'm super busy. I said, you want HR to investigate? No, you don't want HR to investigate. You want to tell HR you're going to investigate. And then you're going to go to the person and you're going to say, I'm investigating. And then you're going to go back to HR and say, I investigated. And here's what I determined. And he said, really, I can do that? I said, yeah, that happens all the time. And you're not an investigator. This guy was doing one-on-ones. He just learned about six months ago. I said, if you start doing one-on-ones and then you start investigating, it's like giving with one hand and taking away with the other. HR is telling you, we don't care about your one-on-ones. We don't care about your trust. You will investigate when we tell you to. You can't be deputized to do HR's bidding or dirty work for that matter. He says, well, then I think HR should do it. I said, oh, no, that's worse. They'll bring people in for private counseling sessions with water torture involved. Anyway, Um, so, okay. The second most likely action after just listening and not agreeing to take any action is taking the action of telling the requester that you support your subordinate manager's decision. Remember now, this is executive tools. So I've gone to Mike, Mike has gone to Eldon. Mike has told Eldon, horseman's coming and here's the thing. And Eldon knows that his first responsibility is just to listen, and probably not take any action. But the second most likely thing is to say to me when I come to him on Zoom or face to face, you don't do this by email, folks, uh, is to say to me, Mark, thanks. I appreciate that. And I'm not going to take any action. I'm supporting what Mike did. Notice he's making a decision to support Mike, not. To choose to not take any action in other words the decision is supporting the subordinate manager not taking your own decision and weighing in you're you're choosing not to weigh in on the argument it's like the supreme court saying we're not going to take that case in other words the lower court's ruling stands as opposed to taking the case and supporting the lower court ruling That changes things. Now you're essentially motivating people to always take a bite at the apple about open door. If I can get a decision from the VP, I'd rather have a decision from the VP than from the director. And this should be the default answer just listening and supporting the subordinate manager. If you don't do that, if you fail to do that, assuming every open door policy request requires an investigation, requires notable actions is going to encourage people to go venue shopping up the chain of authority and undermine your subordinate managers. And look, to be clear, us supporting our subordinate managers does not mean the requester cannot take their concern to our boss too. They can go around us. Although it's funny if you're a VP and you have an open door policy, but your boss, the SVP doesn't. Because you're going to, I mean, if, if I'm the VP and Mike's the SVP and somebody comes to me and says, with an open door, five levels up. And then I say, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. I stand by what my subordinate manager said. And then Mike says, well, I want to go talk to the boss. Uh, Try to remember the characters in this. So Mike's my boss, let's say. And somebody comes to me and then I say, yeah, I'm not doing that. And then that person says, well, I want an open-door policy with Mike. And I have to tell him, Mike doesn't have an open-door policy. (laughs) So, you know, the railroad ends here. Sorry, buddy. They could certainly reach out to Mike. Uh, It doesn't have to be a formal official request. He could say, I'd really like to talk to you. I talked to to Mark and I didn't didn't get satisfaction. And the first thing Mike's going to do is ping me and go, what's going on? And Mike doesn't have to have any sort of policy or anything. You just say, yeah, he get back to the guy and probably slack him or text him or call him and say, hey, listen, I talked to Mark and uh, you don't need to come talk to me. I support what Mark did and that's that. And look, in the vast majority of cases, they won't climb the ladder. If someone were to pursue a open-door policy request for several layers up, haven't been told repeatedly that nothing is going to get done, the decision stands if you will, essentially status quo ante. Some guidance to the requester regarding the organization's resources is probably warranted. An open door policy is not a golden ticket to waste five layers of management's time. I think in fact someone told me it might have been windy or it may have been in the journal, I've just elevated Wendy to be in the same level of authority to me as the Wall Street Journal, of someone who the CEO of a publicly traded company sent a note, if I can ever help you with anything, and there was a fairly new person in the organization who wrote an email or a Slack or text message to the CEO and says, hey, listen, you said your door was always open. I have a problem with my laptop. Can you help me? (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: those are the kind of things we're talking about like people should construe this i mean this is not if you're thinking for a second that what we're talking about here is a way to suppress things like identification of fraud or unethical or illegal behavior you're driving a truck through a very very small eye of the
1: needle yeah and that's why it takes vigilance that's why we have Okay, you've got to do it. You've got to educate it. You got to train it. You got to enforce it, so on. And you got to model it. That's probably the most important thing. And you have to renew it. So, look, summarizing long windedly, there are hidden systems in our organizations that allow us human beings to work together with massive multiplication of our abilities. It's a necessary system, but it's hidden. As executives, it's our job, not HR's to create things like open door policies and to keep them working. And it's not enough just to, quote, have, unquote, an open door policy. You have to say you have one, everyone has to hear you have one, and all your orgs managers must follow suit, and they gotta behave professionally about their own open door policy. Amen.
0: All right, thanks, brother. Anytime, partner, love this stuff. All right, we'll see y'all so long.